they had been very impressed by a talk that someone had given in which that person who gave the talk had said in their very first sentence the whole of what they were going to talk about in the whole talk one sentence and then they said now I'll talk about that but kind of the answer was the first sentence so I thought to myself Maybe I could do that as well. Maybe I could say in one sentence what it is that we're going to do here today and in the four times that it's going to come up. And this is a sentence I thought of. I asked myself the question, what, uh, how does spiritual practice work to change the heart? Because that's what we're doing here. And then I thought, well, I'd, I'd have to say in that one sentence, what's a spiritual practice? And what does it mean change the heart from what to what? Then I decided that in terms of this spiritual practice, what I would say, probably all practice, is a spiritual practice is a discipline that someone undertakes with the intention to habituate the heart to kindness and compassion that comes out of the awareness that grows over time that that's the most gratifying way to live the most comfortable way to live and it makes the best kind of a world so really that's what I think we're doing that we are out of the awareness that each of us wants to be happy in our life and comfortable in our life. And each of us really passionately wants a peaceful, viable world for everyone now and for everyone who will come after us. That we could undertake a discipline as well. And I don't think it's changing the heart from something it isn't to something that is entirely different. I don't think that a loving heart is something that we have to learn to have. I think it's something that we're born with. I think that the heart that responds with the friendliness and compassion and joy at other people's good fortune and equanimity is really part of the equipment of being a human being. I think that the spiritual practice, the discipline that we undertake, is the discipline to remove those obstacles that prevent that heart from manifesting itself, that stand in the way of our connecting with that way of being. So really, I think we're not getting to be other kinds of people. We're getting to be more like ourselves, each of us. So sometimes when people talk about a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice, they think that they're going somewhere or getting somewhere. And I actually think we're arriving home, that we're not going anywhere at all. But we'll be more home than we ever were. So that's really by way of the instruction for us to sit together just for maybe seven minutes. 
I'd like to invite you to sit in a way that's comfortable for you, in a way that you can stay balanced and awake. Most of my practice rests in a commitment to stillness. I try to find a way in which I can sit comfortably enough so that I can stay still in it. When I'm still, my mind settles down. I think sometimes it gets the idea that I'm not going anyplace, so it might as well. And then when I sit, I often listen a little bit to silence or to stillness. There are sounds far and near. Let's just listen for a minute. I find when I listen and I use the faculty of hearing to wake up sensory awareness, I begin to feel my whole body more. So maybe you feel your body breathing. Just expanding and then relaxing as the breath goes in and out. Often I feel the variety of sensations in the body that just let me know, even with my eyes closed, where my whole body is. So there's a little bit of a pressure against the back and a little bit of a pressure under my bottom and I can feel my feet where they are and my arms and my hands.
This is a very important instruction. Smile. Just a little bit. You'll discover when you do that your body relaxes. Probably your mind relaxes. This is very serious, sincere, passionate practice, metta practice. But it's not grim. It's actually the most comfortable way to be. Now be quiet. I'll invite you to feel just what it is to be alive in this moment. With as much of your attention as you can, resting in the physical sensations in the body sitting here right now.
while your eyes are still closed and you're sitting still, I'd like to read the Metta Sutta to you. This is really one of the two teaching sermons that the Buddha gave. Most of the Pali Canon is a story of where the Buddha went and what stories he told. Not so many instructions. These are the instructions he gave for loving-kindness. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, proud and not demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. May none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world.
So here we are, and we've started. Let's do today as a retreat, by the way. Let's stay together for when we sit and when we move together. Let's agree that we won't do uh, conversation. Is that all right with you? I'll ask questions. We'll have questions and answers. But let's let's do it in um, in a context of the silence as part of a retreat. How many people here have done retreat practice? At least one day, not even sleeping over. Everybody who's done. Okay. So you know about that. In a sense, isn't it lovely that sutta? Isn't it really? I, you know what I think is particularly lovely about it. It gives a really radical instruction. It says, don't have bad feelings on anyone, ever. (laughs) Like, I actually think it's a faith statement. It doesn't tell you how. It just tells you do it. Like, that's it. Just make a decision and do it. Did it occur to you while I was reading it? How? You know, for most people, uh, it doesn't seem so radical when you say, let's make a decision that will love all beings on all realms all the time. All beings on all realms is not a problem. (laughs) It's the beings with whom we live in close proximity (laughs) who are the problem. It's actually our own fear system that creates the problem, but... We don't have problems um, in the abstract. You think about all the people on the world, all the human beings, for instance. You think of all the human beings in the world. It's thrilling, isn't it? You think, it's an amazing globe. We have just gotten up this morning. There are folks just going to sleep. We are bundled up because it's a cooler time of the year here. There are people swimming in New Zealand and Australia. It's summer. People all over the world doing all the things that human beings do. Getting up and working and moving about and having relationships 
and trying to take care of their own needs and the needs of their families and trying to take care of their physical needs and their emotional needs, trying really to feel loved and accepted, just like us. When you think about all beings doing that just like we are and struggling with it just as we are, feel enormous compassion for them. It's heroic to be a person. My grandfather uh, used to say, I love this, he would say this remark, he had a few remarks that he would say, he was not, he, he was, he was not uh, particularly educated, in fact couldn't read uh, or write all of his life, but he, he lived to be very old and I thought he was very sage and uh, he had a few things that he said in particular times that even that he died um, probably almost 20 years ago. I can remember the tone of voice in which he said them. And he would have a particular thing that he would say uh, when um, when things, um, when something really difficult happened, uh, we have a really big disappointment in life. He'd say, uh, you'd see him dealing with his own feelings about it, and what response he was going to have. And then he'd say, and it always was preceded by a very big sigh. He'd say, very hard to be a person. <laughs> but it is, you know. What I assumed from that was it, that this didn't mean it was very hard to be a person, although I think it's very hard to be a person, but I think it's hard to be a decent person. It's hard not to be so challenged by the things that happen to us that we get angry or that we don't it's hard not to get angry i don't know if i said that in the right negative it's really hard to remain loving or kind or decent or not be filled with vengeful feelings it's hard to meet challenge without attack won't you notice that when someone tells you, um, I'd like to be frank with you now about this, and you think, oh, because you know, that, you know that that's not going to be good news. No one says that to you when they're about to tell you how beautiful you are, or how much they love you, or how much they've looked forward to seeing you. Um, I mean, think about the collection of expressions if your supervisor at work says to you, uh, like to have a word with you. You think, ah, you know, and it could be a good word, you know, but we are really worried, you know, because they, you know, we think, well, if it's a good word, they come by and say, great job, I love what you're doing. You know, sometime let's talk about how you could do more of it. I'd like to have a word with you is not so reassuring. And we have a very, uh, all of us, a very um, startleable nervous system. We're extremely easily startleable. We get frightened very easily. Some people, even more than other people, get frightened that things aren't going to go our way or that we'll be embarrassed or we'll be ashamed or we'll be disappointed or it'll be bad news. And I, I've discovered that some people uh, are more on the alert for bad news than others. Um, I used to think, because I have a fairly catastrophic mind that makes a bad end on 
most stories. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention in an airport? Usually, it takes me a minute, to, a second to get used to before. Then they say, don't leave your luggage unattended or something completely. But in that nanosecond between when they say, may I have your attention, and they say about leaving the luggage, I've already assumed that some terrible thing has happened. Some people don't have that. I think it's amazing. I love that. Uh, I rejoice, actually. I do wish I had it, but I'm also getting around to rejoicing. I think it's an amazing capacity of mind not to do that. But we're all startleable, and when we startle, we get mad. We fight back. You know, it's just like, what, do you, you don't like it, do you, when someone steps out from behind a door and says, boo. You know, do you like that? And they're just playing. But you get annoyed. Don't do that to me, because we've gotten frightened. It's very hard to remain with a peaceful heart, even on the least scary of things. I think that's why people like the Dalai Lama so well, you know, that he really is an international icon for a peaceful heart. Don't you think so? That people who don't know anything about Buddhism, don't know anything about the Dalai Lama, just sort of have a sense of that. Uh, I, I saw some ad for something or other, a big billboard. I pictured the Dalai Lama on it. And it had nothing to do with the Dalai Lama. It didn't have to do with a talk that he was giving or an appearance. It's just a picture of the Dalai Lama. And I think it was for some product that was supposed to bring you peace of mind or something. But I think that what has gotten over in the general culture is a notion that this person stands for a kind of mind state that is a possibility for human beings. I think I, I like to think that it's become uh, an internationally recognized symbol. I read um, oh some some years back that the three most recognizable international symbols were the Coca-Cola script. You know, it has a certain script, Coca-Cola. You can go all over the world, and it says something Coca-Cola something. And you go in France, it says, Bivet Coca-Cola Glace, drink ice Coca-Cola. But it's the Coca-Cola in that script that is internationally. And uh, the other two were Mickey Mouse, uh, a picture of Mickey Mouse, and a picture of Elvis Presley three most international recognizable icons. And someone said recently, now that the billboard with the Dalai Lama is up, that, that he's also right up there. And I, I thought maybe it's easy. I, 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 I actually thought that made some sense. Do you know uh, children's uh, uh, activity books where we'll have pictures and it'll say, <clears throat> it'll give you four things like... Um, a tricycle and uh, roller skates <clears throat> and ice skates and an ice cream cone or something like that. And they'll say, circle the one that doesn't belong. So <laughs> you circle the ice cream cone because the other way, three are means of moving around, of transportation. So I thought to myself, well, what if you made one of those and you made Elvis Presley and Mickey Mouse and Coca-Cola and the Dalai Lama and it said, circle the one that doesn't belong. But... Maybe you could actually leave them all in 
under the general big circle of ideas of things that make you feel good. And I think what makes people feel good about His Holiness and his picture, even they don't know very much about Buddhism, is he has become so recognizable as a person who, when faced with tremendous challenge in life, remains loving and open-hearted without forgetting what happened to him, working tirelessly for peace in the world, for independence for Tibet, for the continuation of Buddhism, especially for Tibetan Buddhism, but without anger in his heart. How do you do that? Very difficult. It's a very amazing idea for people that you could do that. So that's what metta practice is about. Do you know that metta comes from uh, a root of a word that means um, friend, mita in uh, Pali, uh, maitri in Sanskrit, means friend, means friendliness practice. I, I, I think it would be a very good thing to change the name of the practice from metta practice to friendliness practice. Also from loving-kindness to friendliness. Now, who knows what loving-kindness is? You know, it's such an odd word. The only place that I ever read that word in English were in the first half of the 20th century translations of prayer books, where it says in a kind of stilted Victorian English uh, in prayers, it would say, O Lord, vouchsafe your loving-kindness to us here. I didn't know what vouchsafe meant. It's another word we don't use. And loving-kindness, one word, what does that mean? Loving is a word, and kindness is a word. What is loving-kindness? And Truly, when we use it and we teach in a Dharma context, we say it's that kind of universal well-wishing that uh, without disregard to any stories about particular things about people, loving-kindness is just our absolute open-hearted good-wishing. But I think friendliness would be a fine word for it, just goodwill practice. Another friend of mine had the idea that we should call it benevolence practice. Benevolence practice, just wishing well. Um, We don't use it, I suppose. It's opposite, malevolent. Everybody knows what that means. So-and-so has a malevolent look. doesn't mean well. This means wishing well, benevolence practice. And really what I love the most about the Buddha's teaching about benevolence practice is that it is innate to human beings, that it's what we do when we aren't frightened or confused or overwhelmed or too tired or too startled. It is what we do. And so metta practice becomes... uh, Practices that calm the mind, soothe the body, make us feel all right in ourselves, make us um, wise about what's happening so that we don't resent our lives. Because when we don't, when we can just be in our lives awake in a place of gratitude and thanksgiving for that life, really saying, this is my life, all of it. This part I'm really glad I have. This part I would have not wished I had. But for whatever reasons, this is all my life. 
I've got it. I'm not in contention with it. As a matter of fact, I am amazed at life. As a matter of fact, I am grateful for it. Then what comes out from us is benevolence. It comes out because it's the natural place of the heart. It also comes out because we realize that everybody has the same chore in life. Everybody has to say about their life, this is what I've got. Do you ever think about changing lives with somebody else? You look at other people. I think maybe celebrity magazines, which are getting more and more popular, is because we think people have better lives than we do, <coughs> but they're more interesting or more exciting. Everybody's got what they've got, though. To be able to say, wow, isn't that amazing? That person's got that life, I've got this life. And not to be anything but wise about that. We've got it because we've got it. Not because we deserved it. Either in a good way, I merited this good fortune, or in a bad way, you know, I deserve this terrible pain in my life. Just because all the confluences of all of the causes of everything that ever happened, happened. And here we are, and to be able to say, that's amazing. It's a life happening. I think we should sit a little bit now with the first beginning practice of formal metta practice. And then afterwards, I'll ask you some questions about your practice, and we'll work with the technique of practice. And then in all of the question times, you can feel free as well to ask me a question about anything that I've said. And we'll go back to the Metta Sutta all through the day because I love it. And because it's, I think, hidden in it are all of the instructions for practice. I think you can say it in one word or one sentence about let's maintain an open and loving heart towards all beings all the time. It's the wisest thing to do. But I think also it has all the instructions for what support our ability to do that. It's simple to say it's not that easy to do. For that reason, when the Buddha gave instructions for um, how people might go about it, which aren't in that sutta, by the way, but which are commentary about it, he said everybody ought to begin with themselves. He said there is no one person anywhere more deserving of your well wishes than yourself. Think about that. That's really amazing, isn't it? It's actually true, I think. It's at least true, I think, that in our heart of hearts of hearts, there's no one that we more connect with, certainly, whose life, whose pain, whose suffering would we be more connected with. We really learn compassion through our own experience. I don't think we can um, hear about compassion, say, that sounds like a really good idea. I guess I'll do it. 
intellectually, someone tell you it's wonderful to be compassionate towards all beings, there's so much pain in the world. You think, oh, good idea, I'll take that up. I don't think we do that. I think we do it out of our own pain and the experience of our own pain. And I think we all of us want very much to be at home in our lives. So this is the instruction. Sit in a way that's comfortable for you. Relax your body and hold it in an alert way. And smile. Feel yourself breathing in and out. To inspire the zeal with which you'll do this practice, I'll remind you of the benefits of metta practice as they were presented by the Buddha. This is what it says in scripture. It says, people who practice metta sleep peacefully and wake peacefully and dream peaceful dreams. People love them. Devas love them. Devas will protect them. Poisons and weapons and fire don't harm them. Their faces are clear. Their minds are serene. They die unconfused. And when they die, their rebirth is in the Brahma realms. Metta practice, formal metta practice, traditionally includes the repetition of resolves, wishes, prayers, really, for well-being. The phrases that I say the most are May I be free from danger. May my mind be happy. 
May my body be peaceful. May I live with ease. May I be free from danger. May my mind be happy. May my body be peaceful. May I live with ease. I'd like to invite you, if you don't have an established practice of metta and established phrases that you say, to try those. You may in time find that there are variations of them that resonate with you more. That's fine. What's most important is having a set of phrases simple enough for you to establish them in your heart, not forget them, like them, be able to connect with the feeling of each one of them, and do them over and over and over again. So, unless you have an established other set, perhaps try these. You can do them on your breath. You can do them without thinking about the breath. It's not breath practice. It's mind-focused practice and heart-open practice. May I be free of danger. May my mind be happy. May my body be peaceful. May I live with ease. I'll say them one last time in another minute. Then we'll sit. Probably for 20 minutes. That's a long time. As much as you can, try to feel the sense of each of those phrases in your body. You say, may my mind be happy. Rest in that hope. Feel the context of the mind. May my body be peaceful. Make that be a resolve that really echoes through your body. Say it carefully, but say it really devoutly. May it come to pass. It is, after all, a prayer. From time to time, different things will happen. Mind will fill with other thoughts. You'll forget the phrases. Maybe you'll fall asleep a little bit. Whenever you discover that you've lost those intentions as your focus, begin again. It doesn't matter how many times you lose them. It matters that you return to that intention.
even if you forget all the phrases, make up your own. May I be free of danger. May my mind be happy. May my body be peaceful. May I live with ease. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.